This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody, and thanks so much for joining me as I have a conversation with the great John Karabi to share with you. Chances are, if you've tuned in, you need no introduction to the man, but just in case you do, he was in Motley Crue, ESP, Union, Rat, The Dead Daisies, and a few others... But by and large, this is a fella that should be known for his tremendous talent as a singer and a songwriter in his own right. Now, the catalyst for the chat is rather exciting. He's coming to Australia. I think this might be the first conversation that I'm sharing with the world with an artist since the pandemic, and we're actually talking a little bit about a tour. So I'll read out some dates just quickly because I know most of you live abroad, not in Australia, so this is going to be relatively meaningless to you. But if you do live in Australia, you can catch him in June of 2022. Thursday the 2nd in Sydney at Crowbar. Wednesday the 8th, Brizzy. I'll be along to that show at Brightside in the Valley. Thursday the 9th in Melbourne at North Coast Social. Friday the 10th, Adelaide Enigma Bar. And finally, Perth, you get a show on the 11th, which is a Saturday. Of course it is. Amplifier. So before we get to the chat, I have handpicked a tune to share with you. Smoke the Sky. I enjoy this one here. It's a heavy tune from the 1994 self-titled Motley Crue album, the best album in the Motley Crue catalogue, let it be said. We'll play that if you've tuned in. You'll hear that if you've tuned in via the podcast. If you're listening and watching on YouTube, we're going to cut to the conversation right now. Let's go.
Okay, there we go. There he is, live and in the flesh. How are you, mate? I'm all right. How are you? Good. You're on the road, are you? From the looks of things. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'm just uh, hanging out, um, getting ready to pack. I'm, I'm heading up to uh, Nashville tomorrow and a um, couple shows, and then I'm getting on a plane and heading to Australia. Mate, you are indeed. You are indeed. So if, if things been as busy as you could have expected and potentially even hoped after all of the COVID lockdowns and all of that bullshit started to ebb away? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, um, it's still not, I'm still not a hundred percent back to work. Mm. I'm glad it's starting to pick up. Um, but, um, I kept pretty busy. I took some pro tools classes, learned how to actually record myself. Um, you know, obviously all the recording studios and everybody was quarantining. So nothing was getting done. Um, I wrote the book. Um, and then I just slowly, I'm still a beginner at it. Even still now today, I don't know what I'm doing fully, but, um, you know, I'm just recording music at a very snail's pace Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing my, doing my thing, man, just trying to keep busy like everybody else, you know? Yeah. It's a smart move, mate. At least you haven't spent that idle time drinking or fucking around in a way that isn't so meaningful, but learning how to use all of the tools that you have to use anyway to produce what you're doing, mate, that's a smart thing to do. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm trying, but again, I only, I only, um, I, I'm only creatively productive between three o'clock and three fifteen, and then the rest <laughs> of the time I fuck around and drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, that sounds like you got a good balance there, at least. Yeah, you have to balance. Indeed, yeah. Well, it was cool to hear you were coming down. You know, we love you down here. Uh, you, you and I have had a really good chat before actually i was listening back to it last night we spoke about a whole bunch of things but uh i'll try to ask some different questions for the audience my audience is host a podcast series and you know the video side of things and all the rest of it but um look uh you you are bringing your uh i believe it's a solo and acoustic songs and, a, and stories to it to australia and and the, yeah. the bit the bit about that i mean your music's so well known Amongst rock and heavy metal, you know, the connoisseur, if you like, you tend to attract the connoisseur. But I'm really curious about the story side of things. So are you recounting some of the tales from your biography? Um, it's, yeah, maybe some. But it, in, in all honesty, it's like when I first started doing, you know, because I did an acoustic record. God, man, it's been like 10 years now. Mm. And um, when I did the record, I started going out doing acoustic things, which I had never really done before. And so I was sitting there and I, I you know, I'm looking at everything at the time. Um, at that point, I, I, I hadn't done anything with the daisies yet. Um, but I started looking at, okay, the scream, I need like three or four songs from that. I need like three or four songs from the Motley and then all the union stuff and like some covers and, you know, so I was doing all this stuff and I was doing like 23, 25 songs. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the night, I would sit down either at the bar or at the merch table or whatever. And I'd hang out with the fans and, mm-hmm. and I found myself answering these questions like, Hey man, what's father, mother, son, uh, what's that about? Or, um, you know, like hooligans holiday, like, you know, what exactly does that mean? Um, So I kind of had this weird revelation where I went, you know, maybe it's not about playing 25 songs. Maybe it's about playing 15 and kind of giving them a little backstory on the song. Um. You know, and then just my personality, like I, I'm a goofball, you know, so I try to lighten the mo- mo- mood and, and, and uh, you know, so like I'll tell some stories, you know, there's even some things like where I have to do like an open tuning and instead of having it like two minutes of like dead silence, I just keep talking and I tell like these funny little anecdotes or jokes or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Um and to be honest with you, like once I started doing that, where I was telling the stories and kind of making it more person, like personal, hmm. um, 
it, it really kind of started taking off and people were really kind of just digging the whole thing. So I'm looking forward to it. There really is no rhyme or reason when I do things. I don't even write up a set list. I just kind of wing it. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Killer. Somebody may go, um, somebody may yell October morning wind and I'll go, you know what? I haven't played that in a while, but fuck it. I'll try it. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And I'll, you know, and there's been a few times where I started playing a song and I got maybe halfway through it and I fucked it. I fucked it up royally. <laughs> and I went, sorry, that's all you're getting. And, and everybody just laughs about it. You know, it's like, it, it's just really loose and it's fun. And there's again, no rhyme or reason to anything. It's just about being intimate one-on-one. And I've even had some fans yell up a question and I'll answer it. That's so awesome. Then it becomes, yeah. I love it. I'm a storyteller. You know, it would be like sitting around a campfire just with a couple hundred friends and hanging out. But isn't it a lovely thing that you've arrived at a point in your career where people just are happy to take you at face value even for who you are? Um, yeah. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I do it. You know what I mean? Like, I know somebody said to me about the acoustic shows yesterday. I've been doing interviews for, you know, because I'm coming down there. Mm. And um, somebody asked me yesterday, like, a, a bit about the acoustic show. And then they asked me what the thread was or the theme through the book. And, and like, it's just, you know, I, I've never understood. Even, and I, But I have to say I'm guilty of it as well. Like, if Paul McCartney walked into this room right now, I would have, I would shit a brick and I would literally just sit there and fan <laughs> Nate schoolgirl asking him a million questions. So mm-hmm. I, I, I get that part. And, um, but I've never looked at myself in that sort of, in, in that sort of manner. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, so the book and the acoustic shows, it's just like, you know what, guys, like, I'm just like you guys. Like, I love music. I just want to hang out. I want to play. I, I want to have some fun. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm kind of just like you guys. You know, when I dance, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, so... Yeah, I do. I do like the I do like the intimacy of having an acoustic show. There's no there's nothing to hide behind. And it's like, here I am. What you see is, yeah, let's do this. So, yeah, there's been a few people come over and do that stuff, even some local fillers. I know Johnny Toogood's from New Zealand, but he lives in Australia these days. Johnny Toogood from She Had, he did it, and it was awesome. I think, you know, I was there with a bunch of mates and a couple of us started yelling out for Ace of Spades and just as a joke, and he did it. And, uh, and I mean, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That's the intimacy. You can be nimble and you can give fans something which is very much in the moment. I know all these people hold up their bloody phones these days. But you know what? To the fans, I'd say put your fucking phones down for a moment, just be in the moment and get something at a cellular level that you're not going to get other, you're not going to get any other point in time. Yeah, you know, and it's weird too. I think, to be honest, you know, another local guy down there that's brilliant at the acoustic thing, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan is John Stevens. Um, awesome. you yeah. know, love, love him or hate him. You know what I mean? I don't know what his situation is with a lot of, uh, a lot of people down there, but I love John's voice. Um, I love his music and like, I've, I've seen a couple of videos of him, you know, he's accompanied by somebody else on an acoustic guitar, but he just sits there and he tells some quick stories and, hmm. um, you know, and he does his thing and I'm like, fuck, this is brilliant. It's great. And he's got the perfect voice for that type of thing. So I'm a huge fan of that guy. And actually, I just reached out to him. I said, hey, I'm going to be in Australia for a bit. I'd love to do mm. some writing for my next solo record. So hopefully, um, you know, we'll make some time and, 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 and hopefully we can make something work out. Yeah, no, he's a legend. He's beloved by Australian audiences. Uh, people like, uh, I mean, Noiseworks, I've, I've, I've played covers, you see, and I've played Noiseworks songs a, a few times, and, mate, they always just, people stop what they're doing. And uh, that song, Take Me Back, if you've heard that song, that big rock number from the 80s, um, 
that that goes off. That's gets a huge pop. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you yeah you're trying to reach out to him for writing. Huge fan of. I'm a huge fan of John's. Huge fan of uh, of uh, you know Jimmy Barnes. I think his voice is insane as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, those guys are you know some guys that I look up to and I, I respect. You know what I mean. Um, you know, obviously the ACDCs and, 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 uh, you know, Rick Springfield and, you know, Keith Urban and I mean, the list goes on and on, but, um, you know, big fan of your scene down there as well. Yeah. Well, well, you're almost a part of it. I mean, I know, I know that the touring has picked up in recent years, but do, do you feel as though, I understand you've got a good relationship with Silver Tiger or with John. And that that helps. There's no doubt. But you got to have an audience for that to, for that to actually bear fruit. But do you feel like as though in the last five to six years or so, Australian audiences in particular have become a, have become particularly endearing? Uh, no, I think they've kind of always have been. I mean, I was just somebody just sent me a thing. Like I just saw a video. Might have been on YouTube, and there was a concert that I did down there and. Uh, I forget what I think it might have been Sydney Marquee Club. Yeah, that um, God, that I played there. That's about twenty years ago, fifteen years ago. Okay, so I played there with ESP, which was basically a cover band. We just we just did a whole set of music that we grew up listening to. Yeah, and I saw the video uh, again. I hadn't seen it in forever, and it just kind of went, "Holy shit!" Like it's fucking packed in this club. Like it was packed. Um, I also came down. Um, there was another time that I came down with. Um, uh, I was there with Rat. We had great shows. Yeah, I was. Um, I can't remember all the cities. I think we only did maybe three shows. But I came down with um, Eric Dover, Eric Brittingham, and Troy Patrick Farrell, and we played there. What's that place right in Sydney? Um, the Harborside Brasserie. The what now? The Harborside Brasserie. No, it was a, it was like a Frank Frankie. Is it was it recently or back in the day? No, Frankie's. It was it was probably eight or ten years ago, but um, it was like on the main. Is it the Metro or no? Uh, um, it could be, yeah. I'm familiar enough with Sydney to know, but oh, look, it's you know my memories of Sydney go back sort of beyond 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the metro, yeah. We came down and we played. Um, we played there and walked on stage, and it was packed. And then they announced me, and I wound up doing. We we played Hooligans Holiday, and I thought that place was going to implode. I it was mm. it was vanity. So Australia has always been really, really cool to me. And it's unfortunate that it's like, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's mine is like, what do you do? You go to Mars and then make a left. Because like, yeah. they're way out there. And it's unfortunate because I, I even said to a guy yesterday, I would love nothing more than once I get my band going, I would love nothing more than to be able to pencil Australia into my calendar once a year and just come down and, and play everywhere Perth. like i'm doing some i'm i'm actually going to perth nice for the first time on this run i don't think i've i don't think i played there i did i did play with the daisies um but uh, 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 that's i think the only show that i've ever done in perth okay. was with so i'm looking forward to it you know what i mean mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned the daisies there. Uh, David Lowy, look, he's in Australia. I think he's better known for being an, an aviation enthusiast. He's actually curating a museum. He's, he's actually, I think he's an Order of Australia medal winner too, or recipient, I should say. So he's, he's a great Australian in a lot of ways. And also his father is the fellow that backed the Socceroos and the A-League, our, our soccer league here, which is a bit like the... Um, professional soccer league, I can't remember what it's called in the States, same mm -hmm. sort of deal. But what I know, I know you're no longer in the daisies, but um, barely anybody talks about him, okay? But he is a rock and roll guy at heart. That seems to be his guiding force, if you like, especially, I mean, he, he looks the part, the whole thing. But what's your perspective on David after working with him? You, you know what? I, I, I said this in an interview 
Um, you know, one of the things that used to like piss me off beyond belief is when I would see these comments online and they would say things like, Oh, whatever with the dead daisies, it's just some fucking billionaires like midlife crisis or, Mm. you know, all this shit. And, uh, The thing that amazed me about David, first of all, if you really dive into it and you look up his father's history, it's like a fucking movie. Mm. Like the shit that that man endured in his youth and then came to Australia and started this empire with a fucking fruit stand. Mm at a farmer's market and built this empire through hard work, smart moves. His sons got involved. David's always been a rocker. And the thing that pissed me off about that is I saw a man that would literally be at soundcheck on time, walk on stage. I mean, he was, he was maniacally insane about rehearsing his parts, hmm. uh, you know, and, and he'll be the first to admit, is he Eddie Van Halen? No, but David's a good guitar player. He's a solid guitar player and he's not some billionaire that's hired a bunch of guys to write music for him Mm -hmm. the guy that's sitting in the room with the musicians and he's writing songs with them Mm. and that's the difference and then i i just i i the thing that i respect beyond belief about david is that he's always had this knack of being able to compartmentalize sorry um like the business and the creative and like i said he would get up he would uh he would handle business in the morning he would come down he would have his coffee and his eggs and then he would go back up and he would do business and then he would practice his guitar and then we would sound check and then we would do the meet and greets and we'd do all that stuff do the show and then he would come back to the bar and him and i would sit most nights and he would have his Negroni and I would have a whiskey and we would sit and bullshit for a few minutes. And then he would go up to his room, nap for maybe two hours, three hours. He was up at four or five o'clock in the morning. He was calling Japan, making all these business calls happen. And then he would go back to bed for a few more hours and then repeat. And I was like, you know, it's, that's just genius to me. Yeah. I, I, that man so much for his work ethic and the fact that he's able like dude he's he's kind of you know and he's he's like he's kind of living the life dude like he's got a brain that will is actually built for uh finance and numbers and so he's really good at what he does during the day and he's really good at what he does at night. And it's like, I, I can't respect that guy. I, you, you can't, you cannot sit there and not tip your hat to somebody that like that. And one of the things too, that I told people, I go, man, you don't realize it, but he does write the songs. For example, um, the song, uh, uh, just for an example, Long Way to Go. Mm-hmm. That bam, bam. That that riff, that's David's riff. Hmm. He wrote that riff and brought it to us. And then we sat down in a room with him. We developed it, put it into a song thing. Then I went and wrote lyrics and did my thing. And, you know, but so that's the thing. He's contributing. He's not saying, hey, here's a million dollars. Go write me a fucking record. You know what I mean? So Hmm. that was never the case. So that's, that's what used to annoy me about the slags on David Lowy and um, 
I got nothing but I got nothing but love and respect for that dude. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but feel as though even the name of the group, the Dead Daisies. Now, this is it's like this everywhere, but it's partic- it's especially like this in Australia. Something called the Tall Poppy Syndrome happens to sports people, politicians, titans of industry, such as people in the Lowy family, but they get a bit. People in Australia think, oh, you're getting a bit too big for your boots, mate. We're just going to cut it down. So they cut down the tall poppy, right? The dead daisy, hey, didn't even get a chance to spring up. Do you know what I'm saying? So I feel like as though there's a bit of an inside joke there. I wasn't there when they put the name together. Obviously, if you know the history, you know, David Mm. and John Stevens actually started the band. Mm. And from what I was told, the name actually came... um, the name actually came because I guess apparently John had had some medical issues back in whenever they started this band. It was uh, 2013 or 14 or something like that, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he had some heart issues. And, you know, his doctor basically said, okay, here's the deal, dude. You need to like cut back on this. You need to cut back on that. You need to stop doing this. You know what? If you don't take care of yourself, you're going to be in the ground, like basically pushing up the daisies, which uh-huh. is that, okay. you know, and somehow it got twisted into the dead daisies, um, you know, due to whatever John was going through at the time. Um, but, you know, again, David's done a brilliant job. Of, he hired a he hired a great marketing team and put a great marketing team together. He's got a great band. Everybody contributes. Everybody does their thing, and they just get out there and they do it first class the whole way. So, yeah. and you complain about somebody like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. No. I get what you're saying. It's always good to get uh, what I call primary research and ask people who are then uh, there and uh, then and there in the moment, and you understand what was going on. But I think I think there's growing understanding, if you like, of uh, David's contribution to rock and heavy metal. As I say, you know. Australian story who didn't I personally don't think they did such a great job with the Bon Scott thing that came out recently they focused on the uh focused on on aspects of his life that uh were less controversial let's face it and I think what they did with David is when they did they did one with either the Lowy family or with David and they didn't focus enough at all on the rock and roll and I'm talking about a video or a documentary or something or documentary yeah you can check it just type in australian story bon scott or australian story lowey david lowey uh, okay just go, go, yeah, it's easy to find it's it'll be syndicated in the u.s uh because i've already spoken who did i speak to the other day and they just watched it matt nardo from uh leviathan project i had a chat to him and uh, he was saying yeah he just watched it last night so you know how it is these days mate if it comes out here it'll be out there at the same time but uh yeah. but the ABC, mate, here, mate, they're not exactly known for telling the truth, believe me. They focus on narrative rather than fact. And, um, yeah, it's one of those things. But, uh, look, I, I want to talk about Union for a bit, if that's okay, because yeah. uh, I'm on I'm on Deco's distribution list uh, talking to the guys in Chips to PA, you know, the people who are uh, around the uh, the Deco record label in terms of sending out promos and the like. And, uh Look, from my perception is they seem to have done a killer job with the Union re-releases, the vinyl, which sold out before they were even bloody available. So were you, were you involved in that? A, a, a little bit. I mean, obviously, we all got together and we signed all the flats and things that they put in the record. And, um, you know, they, they um, you know, I've kind of figured out the best thing to do when it comes to doing artwork and different things like that. Like, and I even told one of the guys that was involved in uh, with Deco, I said, you know what, honestly, don't even ask us because we're not going to agree on anything. <laughs> do, do the artwork and send us the final yes or no. You know. That's all you need to worry about is the final yes or no from all of us. Because mm-hmm. I see things one way, Bruce sees, sees things a different way. Brent sees things a third way, and Jamie, when you can find him, is going to see it a fourth way. So I said, just do what you do, send us a copy of it when it's done, and we'll either give you a thumbs up or thumbs down. Mm. And that's what they did, you know what I mean? So um, I think they did a great job, and as usual, you know what, this is my MO. I do, I join bands, I do records. When I'm in the band, (laughs) nobody gives a shit. And then it seems like 10 years later, 15, 20 years later, 
everybody goes, oh man, what a great band, you know? <laughs> so so that, true. that's just kind of my MO. Um, but there's been this resurgence now with uh, anything, everything, uh, union or, and the screen. You know what I mean? It's like all this shit going on. It's like, wait, where were you guys in 91 and 98 yeah. and 99? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, I'm just happy the music is out. That's all. Mm. I was around back then. I, I distinctly recall the Blue Room Australian tour in 98, I think it was, or early 99. And, and I remember how, because uh, being a musician, back then, if you were into rock and metal, mate, it was, you were about as, you just weren't, you, I mean, you found each other in rehearsal studios. You couldn't just go to a club or whatever. They didn't exist in Australia back in those days. But but I remember the buzz that was around my inner circle of musicians um, when you guys were touring. And I think Kiss had just released Carnival of Souls. So there was that, that you know, that hunger to hear what Bruce had got to do. But, of course, you know, there's the Motley Crue thing with you. But what, what, what do you recall uh, of that, the Blue Room Australian tour in 98? Not much because I forgot we did that. Um, <laughs> mentioned it. Oh, but again, again, I, I don't ever remember coming to Australia and not having a great time. So, um, you know, as I said earlier, Australia's just been. I mean, even still now, like I'm releasing new music and you do it like digitally through these digital distribution sites and they always mm -hmm. give you the break top cities and the top countries and all that shit. And Australia is consistently in the top five every time, you know what I mean? Regardless of what I do. Mm -hmm. So Australia has always been awesome. And, you know, I remember to even talking to my wife you know at some point like before i met her she went down there for a vacation and um her and a bunch of girlfriends and and she was like she had never been there before and she came home and years later we were talking about australia and she goes i love that place she goes everybody just seems happy everybody's just like it's, it's got great weather that you know the you know all the stuff like everybody's just happy and positive and upbeat and like all these things and i kind of i i can't disagree with that assessment do you know what i mean so yeah. you rock <laughs> thanks well you did too you did too and uh look i spoke to one of your ex-band mates uh not too long ago jizzy pearl and i was surprised he struck me as a fairly intense individual would that be true yep Jizzy's very, um, he's a great dude. Jizzy and I got off on the wrong foot. Um, well, we got off on the right foot when we first met each other. But when I did the rat thing, there was a point where it was just like a misunderstanding. I was dating one of his ex-girlfriends. So we were kind of like uh, a, mm. a little, it, it, it was a little ginger, um, you know, when we first started with Rat. But, you know, we talked, we did our thing and, and we had some we had some agreements and disagreements. And, and you know, I think the, the thing that I love about Jizzy is if he doesn't like something, he'll tell you. And yes. he knows I'm the same way. So I think we respect each other. I love Jizzy's music. I love he, he's very creative with his books and different things and he is he's a very intense individual um but light-hearted at the same time like once you get to know him um and give him a couple glasses of wine he like loosens up a little bit but um he's a great dude man yeah i wasn't expecting it uh i'm not saying i had a bad interaction with him at all far from it but uh he he was probably he's probably one of the most intense people that I've spoken to across seven hundred interviews, and that's that's really saying something. Given that I've spoken to you before, I've spoken to so many of the leading lights, but he answered every question seriously, uh, didn't fob anything off, uh, was polite. But yeah, I, I, it, it wasn't one of those humorous interviews, if you know what I'm saying. Like what we sort of were were uh, leading to points where we're exchanging stories or what have you. It was definitely one of those ones where 
my thing is to have conversations with people, but I got the impression with Jizzy, it, he really wanted to keep it as an interview, so he wanted to get the facts out there to people. Yeah, he's he's very direct. He's um, but he does have he he's got a really wicked sense of humor as well. Mm. Um, it's just you know you caught him. Sorry, there's there's a guy. I don't know if you can see this. He's oh nice. Yep. <laughs> the count county guys like spraying for mosquitoes. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he's very intense. He he can be very intense. But he also has a very wicked sense of humor as well, and he's he's a hoot to be most times. But obviously, I would think in an interview point of view, he just wants to tell you like, "Hey, here's here's the shows I'm doing, here's the music," and uh, you know, uh, whatever. Yeah, 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 just get I'm, to the point. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. What a, what a direct point guy. Yeah. What about a bloke like? Um, Bobby Bobby Blotzer, of course. Uh, look, from, from, I listened to our last conversation, and, and I know you, you gave me a lot of insight into the relationship between him and Warren Demartini, which sounded toxic. Um, but do, do you remain mates with those people long after you're out of the band? Um, you know, it, it's weird. I don't, I don't dislike any of them. Um, you know, it's just weird though. Like once you start getting into other things, like. I was so focused and I mean, got the four or five years I was in the daisies. Like I didn't have time to breathe, let alone stay in touch with anybody. Mm. But, um, you know, Bobby just called me a couple months ago and we, we, we were bullshitting for a minute. And, um, he, he, he kind of told me he didn't like a few things that I said in interviews, uh, in reference to the band being, you know, dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes, why? You know, he wanted to know why I would say that. And I'm like, dude, you guys couldn't get through a rehearsal without wanting to kill each other. Yeah. I'm going to put that dysfunctional category. Uh, you know, and he laughed about it, whatever. Um, I, like, I, I, if you ask me a question, I'm going to be truthful. I don't yeah. give any, any, I never give an answer to hurt somebody's feelings, throw them under a bus or, 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 uh, offend anybody. But at the bottom, the bottom line is you ask me a question. I'm being honest. I'm giving you an honest answer. And, um, you know, unfortunately sometimes it comes back and bites me in the ass, but I don't give a shit. Like I was asked the question and here's the answer. <laughs> like Whatever. I get along with those guys when, if Warren walked in here right now, we'd sit down and have a Guinness together, maybe jam some guitar. If Bobby walked in here, it would be, you know, insanity, energetic. Um, You know, I would bust his balls. He'd bust my balls. Uh, Robbie Crane, I adore. I just talked to Robbie. Uh, He actually called me for my birthday a few weeks ago. Um, You know, I like Juan. Uh, I never played in the band with one, but I've always gotten with one. And Stephen, I thought, you know, uh, uh, like a lot of people, including some of the members of the band, didn't necessarily agree with or uh, appreciate some of Stephen's uh, quirks or idiosyncrasies, but. I was in a band with the guy for a couple of years, and I fucking love Stephen. He is, he's another one. He's very direct. He is as rock and roll as you get. Uh, he hasn't had it easy. Um, you know, and he's still doing his thing. Stephen makes no bones about being Stephen Piercy. And I respect that. Um, I think one of the biggest things that happened to that band uh the thing that kind of off-kiltered the balance in that band was the death of Robin Crosby. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think Robin was a huge contributor as far as the writing. And I think Robin was Robin was like the type of guy that kind of kept everybody in check. And um, you know, so and because of that, I think at that point, everybody's 
like everybody's starting to become um, vying for the top, vying to be the top dog. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, my, my impression is I'm an old rat fan and uh, I wasn't a fan when Robin was even, uh, no, I was definitely a fan when he was alive, but I wasn't a fan when he was actually in the band, if that makes sense. You know, when he was sort of on the outer, I suppose, is the way to describe it. And the band, this is like mid-90s or whatever. So I don't even know whether there was a band back then, but uh, he struck me as the soul. Okay, and when you lose your soul, the head starts to rule, and it becomes illogical and irrational. And he, he yeah. was he absolutely the heart and soul of Rat. Um, and it, like a lot of those songs, I mean, there was a few that Juan wrote, but I think you know, it, you know, Steve, Steve, Robin was to Stephen what I know. I know this. I don't mean it in this magnitude. But the writing partnership was really kind of Robin and Steven. And when Steve Robin wasn't there, it was like, you know, okay. And now I got to figure out, you know, plan B. Um, and that's, they've just been bickering and fighting ever since. But hopefully, hopefully at some point, I know Steven's kind of campaigning or championing. Uh, like I've read some interviews lately where, you know, Steven's like, if everybody can check their ego at the door, I would love nothing more than Bobby, Warren, Juan, and Steven to get back together again, find a guitar player, and go out and do rat again. And I mm. think the fans love that. Well, the, the, the second guitarist could only be yourself or Carlos, surely. I mean, I know they've got ring-ins these days, and I mean that term in a polite way. But, um, I mean, you, you need a personality up there, someone that people already know in and amongst a crew like that. So hopefully they ask you yourself or Carlos to, to join them if that happens. Uh, you know, I, I, again, I, I'm, I tend to be a person though. That's like, okay, I had, I, I bought that shirt. I wore that shirt. I washed that shirt. <laughs> I'm, um, you know, so I'm, I'm never say never, but, um, I, I, I just can't see it happening. Yeah. Hey, did the, uh, the did the producers of the dirt? Did they need your permission to characterize you in that film? Apparently, no. Because honestly, I really wish they would have just left me out of the fucking film altogether. Um, but they chose to portray me the way they did. Um, you know, it is what it is. Um, so. Uh, you know, ultimately, I think the minute that I was in the movie um, was kind of completely unnecessary, to be honest with you. Like, I, I just wish they would have bypassed it altogether. And, um, you know, band breaks up, band goes away, band gets back together again. Hmm. Pretty much what they did, but they just kind of I felt the way they portrayed me kind of threw the, that whole time frame under the bus a little bit. So wasn't happy with it. Yeah. Look, I, I studied film and uh, that, that script had all of the elements of management by committee. Okay. So it was a compromise. It was a compromise script in my opinion. Oh, of course I'm not there, but when things were happening, but I watched that and I got to the end of it and I thought, Jesus Christ, what did I just watch? Okay, because I know the the Motley Crue story intimately. I was a fan back in the day. I especially loved your your contribution to the to the group, and I think a lot of people do. So to see you, if I could use the word marginalised like that, and to be used as a as an instrument in a plot instrument, as opposed to the contribution that what it was, which was an integral, which it, it, look without that album. Here's the thing, okay, and this opinion is shared by many people. This is not just mine alone. The album that you were a part of actually gave the group credibility. I don't know whether it had popularity, sure. It had been always been the, the party bullshit band before you came along. But when you came along and the band actually finally got fucking serious and a lot of fans were ready for that, but the media, of course, weren't at the time because the media was just haywire back then, as you know. But do you, do you feel the same way? Do you feel like as though the band finally got serious around the time that you joined? You know, to be honest with you, I don't, I, 
You know, the funny thing of it is I, I, I get these fans that, because I guarantee you, part of this interview is going to end up on a website like Blabbermouth. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry about know. that. Yeah. No, it, no. It, it, it is what it is. Uh, and, and I'm fine with it. I don't give a shit. But the, the, the funny thing of it is, is these fans will sit there and make these comments like, you know, oh, my God, dude, fuck, it was 27 years ago. Leave it alone. Why don't you move on? Why don't you get your own life? Why don't you, do, you know? And the, 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 the odd thing is, like, again, I, I don't really say to anybody, like, hey, you can interview me, but don't ask me about this, 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 or, you know, my life is an open book. I don't care. I'm proud of everything that I've done. Um, I respect everything that I've done. Um, you know, I have no regrets. And, you know, at the end of the day, though, I don't even think about that stuff. Like, and I, and I try to liken my life, like, to like driving a car. Mm. I did the Motley thing. I did the scream. Who knew I was going to get into Motley? I did that. Who knew Vince was going to come back? And I did Union. And who knew that Bruce was going to join Grand Funk Railroad? I was going to get an offer, whatever. Everything happened for whatever the universe's reasons were. It happened. Um, and at the end of the day, like, I feel like if you're looking, if you're in a car and you're moving the car forward, it's kind of important to look forward <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah if i get it is moving forward and you're looking in the rear view mirror or behind you you're looking in the past hmm. and it's not going to end well because you're not paying attention to what's going on in front of you so i, I mean again like i saw the movie the dirt and i went oh, man fuck like why did they even put me in it um I think the record that we did was it was a uh, it was a joint effort. It was four guys that got together in a room. I don't know uh, if my attitude, I don't know if it was my guitar playing. I don't know if it was my vocals. I don't know if it was my contributions to lyrics. I don't know what it is. All I know is we all together sat in a room for almost a year. And we just jammed and we wrote and we rewrote and we did all this stuff. And then we sent the stuff to Bob Rock and he loved it. And he said, let's do this. And then honestly, we got up with Bob Rock and we took everything that we sent him and we stripped it down to its barest form and we started building it again. And um, now I'm proud of the record. Um, I'm grateful to motley crew for actually making that phone call contrary to popular belief i have zero bones against anybody in the band um i pretty much talked to just about everybody in the band but nikki um and that's for whatever reasons that's his choice that's his choosing and you know what great awesome sorry dude whatever i don't regret anything I'm just trying to do my best. Like I said, I'm writing new music. I'm coming to Australia. The fact that people still want me to come and play for them is a blessing. The fact that I'm still doing new music and people are downloading it and streaming it and excited about when the CD and the vinyl comes out is a blessing. The book um, is a blessing. And I'm just moving forward, man. So I don't even, I don't even think about any of that stuff to be honest with you and for those of you who are making notes i'm going to comment on this later he asked me the question i answered it <laughs> oh don't they come after me i've seen the comments about you know the stale ass interview or all of this sort of shit mate i mean these these fucking armchair critics can go fuck themselves excuse my language and i've been pretty vocal about that i mean you're the creator I'm a journo. I'm genuinely a journalist, by the way. So I'm just trying to get to the bottom of things and ask insightful questions yeah. that make yeah. the interview hopefully interesting. Yeah. You just said it, like a lot of these armchair warriors that sit in their mom's basement at 45 years old yeah. and um, comment on things like 
you know, I, I, I can't even tell you, like, even just recently, like, I've gotten so much slack over the fact that um, I'm letting my hair grow out and go gray and whatever. And, you know, it's funny, like, these fans will write to me and they're like, hey, dude, huge fan, but, like, what's up with the beard, bro? Or why are you wearing, like, dude, you need to dye your hair. Or like, why are you wearing that jacket? And I'm like, when did it become like? First of all, I'm sixty fucking three years old. <laughs> like, yeah. I think I brought these gray hairs, and it's like I'm just, dude. Seriously, it's just music. I'm not, I'm not boxing my Tyson. Like I could see if you were concerned about age or whatever. I'm not boxing my Tyson. I'm not playing rugby for the Rabbitohs. Um, you know, it's like, seriously, I'm just a guy that plays a guitar, sings some lyrics over a melody, and why is any of this relevant? Yeah. It's not. Yeah, it's like, it's like, sorry, guys, I'm just acting my age. Maybe you should do. That's it, yeah. No, I'm with you. I know I try not to look at the comments. It's I, I, I rarely get negative comments on, on my social feeds, you know, my scars and guitars, Facebook or Instagram. I overwhelmingly, you know, I couldn't, couldn't even tell you the last time negative. But Paying attention to what other people say and what other people do will mm. be the death of anything that you want to do. Because yeah. Yeah. you're never going to be able to please everybody all the time. So fuck it. Just do what you're going to do, be yourself, and have fun with it. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I really, yeah, and look, I really appreciate all the time and, and, and the way you do answer the questions. You are one of the few that actually give me, and, and I remembered that from the when listening back to the conversation we had the last time, you're giving me everything in terms of you are answering the question to the, to the minutia. But um, I'll, I'll make this my last question for you. I know you use, you you worked as a ghostwriter for the biography. That's cool. I'm a ghostwriter too. I actually write books as well. But it was brilliant. Yeah, excellent. And and look, I've got the book saved. I've, I've downloaded it, but I'm I'm waiting for some time uh, off to actually get get through it because I tend to read books in sort of one and two days. But um, did you find that writing the book was it was it a cathartic experience and potentially even about setting the record straight? Given your rich and varied career? Um, you know, to be honest, quite honest with you, I really had no desire to write a book. Um, and it was Paul Miles, um, my Australian counterpart, mm. who talked me into it. And, and, and he kind of brought something to my attention, which I had never even realized, recognized, understood, whatever. And he said, even though that you've been in the dirt, uh, the book is like largely you're, for a lack of a better term, this like enigma that, you know, you do new music and you kind of pop out of the woodwork. You're like, hey, check out my new music and then goodbye. It's like you disappear. And he said, I think that there's a lot of fans out there that would like to know what makes you tick. So we said, okay, great, do the record or do the book. And as we were doing it, Paul was very easy to write with because he set it up almost like an interview like we're doing. Hmm. And he really researched a lot of things, asked me about my childhood and my parents and my grandparents and just all this back history. And then we did, you know, there was a draft. He sent it to me. I re-edited. I read the book and it sent everything back. But it was funny, like, there was moments in the book where, um, like, talking about my son being born, you know, my mom was, God rest her soul, my mom came out to be there when my son was born. And I, I, I looked at that very fondly and, you know, miss my mom. And, but I had like cool, I, these cool, happy feelings when I was talking about my mom or my son being born and these, you know, getting the record deal with the scream and joining Motley Crue, like that ecstatic, happy feeling that I had. 
And then there was other times where it was like going through the part of leaving Motley or going through divorces. That it was so weird. It, like literally reading the book and telling the story literally put me right back into that thing again. And I at times had a little bit of a stomach ache and I had to like walk away and go make a cup of tea. And mm. it, the idea of the book is really not again to throw anybody under the bus. Um, I don't think I'm telling anybody anything like is in regards to some of the bands that I've been in. I don't think I'm telling anybody uh, anything newsworthy or news flashworthy um, or groundbreaking. What I'm doing though is I'm I'm giving you an in-depth look of my perspective and how I felt and how I tried to process things when, for example, I joined this notoriously insane band called Motley Crue and I watched them do certain things and how my brain processed everything. So again, it's, it's, it's not really about anybody else. It's just kind of my journey through my life, different things I was going through and how I processed everything and how, how did this affect me? Uh, you know, uh, my, my mental well-being or my ulcer or like whatever, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. And um, so I, you know, I, I do think the one thread through the book though is yeah, I've been through a lot. I've had a, a lot of highs, but I've had a lot of really low lows. And you just can't let it get to you. You just keep moving forward. And so I guess the word would be perseverance. That's the, that's the thing throughout the whole book. Can't wait to read it. I'd love to catch up with you when you come down here. I'll uh, I'll do my very best to get to the show. It's hard with kids, to be honest with you. Where, where's that, buddy? Bris oh, Gold Coast, but Brisbane's the closest place to me. Um, okay. So I should be at the bright side gig there, mate. So, um, yeah, it'd be, I mean, I know you, you, you're going to be catching up with hundreds, of, but not hundreds, but maybe across the whole tour, you will be tens of people at the Brisbane gig. But, uh, mate, I'll be there, so it'll be lovely to be able to catch up and have a beer if it's at all possible. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a VB and a Jameson at the end of the night. <laughs> Mate, that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to the shows, brother. Again, thanks so much for your candor. Uh, I appreciate it, okay? And uh, you're right about the blabbermouth side of things and metal injection and all those bloody sites. What can we do? They uh, they pick up on these things, make money off both of us, and um, it's just the way the it world is. What it, you know, yeah. I'm not – I don't hate them for it because, they, you know, in other ways it's been really cool to me. But, you know, if they're talking about me, they're leaving some other poor bastard alone. So have at it. <laughs> Indeed. No worries. All right. Thanks very much again, brother. Really appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Catch ya. The Crab, ladies and gents, John Karabi. What an awesome fella. I've had uh, one chat to him beforehand. I think I mentioned that throughout the chat. It's always a joy to look forward to a conversation with John Karabi because I've found the fellow twice now to be an open book. He will answer questions where others won't. And yes, he's quite right. Blabbermouth will, well, who knows whether they're going to pick it up, but it is likely, isn't it? Before I let you go, go across to scarsandguitars.com and check out the book that I've written. It's an e-version. Click on the links. Go across to a marketplace of your choice and download a sample. You won't be disappointed because if you love hard rock, heavy metal, extreme metal and everything in between, there's something in there for you. Cradle of Filth, Morbid Angel, Death, Carcass, The Eagles, Aldi Miola, even Al Anderson from Bob Marley and The Wailers. He's the fella that wrote that iconic lick in No Woman, No Cry. Member or a member of Man of War, Ross the Boss, Ross Friedman, he also gets a Guernsey. So many others go across, as I say, and download a sample. I'm sure you will not be disappointed. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it is a very goodbye for now.